Greetings fellow captains and welcome back to Rank Amateur. Today in Rank Amateur we have the Tier 6 Tech Tree British Heavy Cruiser, the Devonshire. And this is probably my favorite Tier 6 ship that I have, or one of the favorite Tier 6 ships I have played so far, and my, certainly my favorite um, uh, Tech Tree Tier 6 ship that I have played so far. So that's a, that's a pretty big uh, compliment for the ship. I really enjoyed playing it. And uh, in addition to that, we also have a bunch of news to go over. So many things have happened in the past two weeks uh, since the last episode, so we will be going over that in this episode of Rank Amateur. So first off, um, well, we'll start with the news in World of Warships, and there's, a, like I said, a lot of that's happened since uh, last episode released, and most of this happened while I was on vacation, so, you know, checking in Reddit a few days and just watching World of Warships literally burn down in front of me. Um, and many of you, or actually pretty much everyone who is into World of Warships seriously, knows what I'm talking about, and that's the mass exodus of the community contributors. So the basically complete shutdown of the community contributor program. And uh, for those of you who maybe don't play World of Warships and just listen to the podcast from Naval History, um, the community contributor program at World of Warships was designed as a sort of uh, portal uh, for... I guess, the people, the players of World of Warships, and the developers. Uh, and this was a very successful program, and it's what I'll call the golden age of World of Warships, um, which uh, some would say were very much past. I don't really agree with that, but, you know, we'll go with that for now. Certainly past the golden age of the um, community contributor program, and that was just uh, so they could get the, the game started in a way that people would enjoy, and for a long time it was a uh, portal but it was um a portal between the community and the community contributors are essentially just content creators large mostly large content creators that kind of voice their opinions and they get to test ships and things like that and show it to people and then people can kind of you know comment in their videos on what they think about it and then community contributors more or less supposed to relay that or or represent the community to world of war uh to the devs of world of warships and for a while they listened if something was grossly overpowered uh community contributors community contributors would be like hey well this uh ship is way too strong we need to nerf it and then the devs would be like all right yep we'll go we'll get right on that and it was within a few days that the ship saw a nerf and was brought back into power or into like the correct power um this is declined because it used to be that they were actually talking to the people who were making these changes to World of Warships, and uh, once the game got bigger, uh, these people were pulled out and kind of put in their own little realm, uh, and there was some sort of like representatives that were talking with the community contributors, and uh, this is pretty much when things started going downhill because these representatives would relay information back to the devs or back to the higher-ups in World of Warships, and it was easier for them to say no because you're not talking straight to someone's face. And this frustrated the community contributors, but there were, they were still kind of listening, so they, they dealt with it, and they knew that this is pretty much the direction that every game went um, when it got more popular. So 
What happened then is um, they requested the community team for World of Warships North America requested that uh, one of the, I guess not largest, but certainly most influential uh, community contributors, uh, a woman who goes by the name of Little White Mouse, uh, to design a Canadian battleship. And this battleship would take the shape of the Yukon that we see in all the warships. Except it wasn't what uh, she and her artists designed. They spent 18 months designing a ship and camouflage and everything like that, only for it to be introduced in the game as something completely different. So they were obviously very disappointed, and, well, more than disappointed, they were infuriated by it. And this has been going on for a long time, uh, this back and forth, and then eventually... Little White Mouse said, you know what, I'm done, I'm thrown in the towel, here's my resignation, I'm leaving the program. And then they started kind of belittling her after that in the Discord as she was leaving. And so the other community contributors saw this and decided to quit in droves. The large, Every single large community contributor in World of Warships has now left the program. Um, Flamu and No Zoop For You, they left in a sort of... Um, they were, they were asked to leave, actually, uh, because of some other things that happened in, outside of World of Warships a f- few months back. But we're talking about Mighty Jingles. You may have remembered that I had him on. He has now left the program. Um, I Chase, Clyde the Monkey, Pointy-Haired Jedi. All I think it's like 25 uh, of the largest community contributors. All the other ones are very small um, content creators. So, yeah, I'm not going to voice my opinion on this issue. Uh, I will say that, I'm, you know, it's it's been going on for a while. World of Warships is never going to change. And there's all these people who are promising that, you know, I'm not going to spend a dime more on this game. You don't. It doesn't matter. And the, the reason why is because the people who are actually committed to World of Warships, who um, used to, or, or were like alpha testers and things like that, World of Warships doesn't really care about them anymore. Or at least... The devs do, but the people who are running the company don't care anymore because they're not their main source of income anymore. Other than buying premium time, which they sure, which a lot of people are still doing anyways. Um, they, if you have every ship that you're gonna buy, they're not making any more money off you, so they don't really care if you leave the game because they're not gonna make money. Uh, the the larger portion of their audience is the casual gamers who usually kind of suck at the game, but they spend money and buy ships that they think look cool and. Uh, work well, and that's that's who they're making money for on, and um, that's who they're gonna listen to. And those people don't really have a a say because they're not committed. They don't care if something happens in World of Warships. They don't like. They just stop playing, and then they're replaced by another person. So that's why I'm not gonna stop pe- uh, spending money on World of Warships because, frankly, you're only punishing yourself. If you wanna actually take action, there is a video called. Um, Stormy Weather, that's by uh, Mighty Jingles, and he has detailed a very effective way to get World of Warships to listen to us. Um, oh, and uh, th- also a reason why um, the community contributors are qu- quitting is because of uh, gambling mechanics that have been implemented into the game. Um, and they're not critical to the game, but they're certainly an aspect to the game, and that's those loot boxes that I've been seeing, especially the Missouri loot boxes. Um, where you can only get the Tier 9 Premium Battleship USS Missouri in a loot box with like a 1 in 72 chance of dropping a, a USS Missouri, and each of them's like $5, so you can see how quickly that amount of money is going to add up when you're trying to get USS Missouri by, you know, going through the loot boxes. Uh, and this enraged the community contributors because this game is ultimately marketed at children, um, 
It's rated for seven-year-olds in Europe and 13-year-olds in the USA, um, which cannot legally gamble in either uh, municipality. Um, so that the legal gambling age in USA at least is 21. So um, it'd be different if you could gamble with like you know credits or something like that, like in-game currency. Still kind of borderline not cool but not like spending real money so that enraged the mighty jingles especially that was one of his principal reason reasons for uh stopping uh being a comedic contributor because he didn't really want to have any business ties with the company who was marketing gambling to seven-year-olds so uh, he's they're still posting world of warships youtube videos which i mean if you're protesting is eh. I don't know. This this whole situation is kind of weird. I'm not going to make any further comments on my uh, perspectives. So basically, just think that I agree with your perspective, your individual perspective. So I don't agree with anyone else, but you specifically just keep that thought in your mind. And let's dive into some of the actual news in World of Warships. So World of Warships update 10, uh, 0.10.7 has gone live. And a lot of things have been introduced in this update. Um, we'll start with, um, actually, we'll start with the small things. So, um, the Friesland, um, everyone's favorite destroyer without torpedoes, uh, the only destroyer without torpedoes up until this update, has been introduced into the armory. Uh, or not into the armory, into the premium shop. Um, it is gonna be quite pricey, 19,300 doubloons, that's around $77, as for normal tier 9. Uh, it is identical in every way, shape, or form to the... Uh, Friesland, as it is of the same class and has the same operating par uh, parameters. So, yeah, if you missed out on the Friesland, Groningen's a good ship. They have like a one point something second reload base. So they're kind of they're kind of ridiculous. And then uh, they have submarines for rent. Uh, submarines have entered uh, random and ranked battles. Uh, so yeah, you can go in the armory and pick up a rental for submarines. Uh, submarines are pretty complex, uh, or well, not complex, but pretty different from everything else, obviously, because they can go underwater. Uh, duh. And they can also launch homing torpedoes, which is kind of unrealistic because I believe homing torpedoes were only something of a like a late war German invention. Maybe I, I guess it's just something to give to submarines to make them unique and effective, or more effective than they should be. I I don't think they should even have homing torpedoes regardless. But you know, w whatever. Okay, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna fuss about it. I've learned not to worry about things they introduce in the world of warships because you'll be forever frustrated. So, um, basically, uh, if you want to learn how to actually play submarines, I suggest watching a YouTube video, because that's, that's a whole, like, another thing, and I'm not going to go into it. But how to counter submarines. So, destroyers, you got depth charges, simply drive straight over there where your submarine, uh, where the submarine was spotted, or where you think it is. Press G, launch and depth charges, and that's pretty much it. Uh, light cruisers can also do this. Um, surveillance at radar can detect them at periscope depth and on the surface. Hydroacoustic search can uh, detect them within the ship detection range at all depths except maximum depth. Um, and uh, submarines have a dive capacity. Uh, this is uh, useful for people to t time their attacks. Uh, they have a dive capacity, and once that dive capacity is depleted, then um, they must rise. Uh, they will automatically come to the surface no matter where they are. Um, and so uh, heavy cruisers don't really have uh, that good of a counter to. Uh, 
you know, submarines, because most of them don't have depth charges. I don't think any of them do, actually. So you kind of have to bank on them being at the surface and being able to hit them with high explosive shells. And what's neat is you don't actually have to hit a submarine to deal damage with it. You just have to get in with a, a certain splash radius. Uh, it depends on your shell. And uh, this allows you to deal damage because there's fragmentation damage. And in real life, this is realistic. In real life, submarines often weren't actually physically hit. Uh, to deal damage with them. They had such weak armor, and they were so sensitive because, you know, they dive, they have to have, like, a pressure hull, um, that a you know, small crack or just shrapnel that hits that hull could damage it and uh, potentially uh, render it unable to dive, which, you know, what good is a submarine that can't dive? Uh, it's a bit of a nerf to heavy cruisers, especially ones like the Italians, which don't even have hydroacoustic search to spot these submarines at um, uh, any depth, and they can't spot the torpedoes that are... Um, uh, hit that are going to hit them. Uh, torpedoes, by the way, honing torpedoes that will show you where uh, which direction the sonar ping came from and how long it has on your ship and where it's locked onto your ship. Um, you can resolve this by using the damage con um, consumable and much like fires and floods, you cannot be set on fire um, when your damage control is on. You can also not be pinged when your damage control is on. So, uh, yeah, that's that's cool. Uh, battleships. Some battleships have counters. Some are just utterly screwed. Um, American, Japanese, and British battleships have counters. Uh, they can launch anti-submarine aircraft, which are basically Dutch airstrikes, except they have PBY Catalina flying boats for the Allies and some other Japanese uh, like seaplane uh, for the uh, Jap Japanese, and they drop depth charges over a selected area, and these can hit submarines at, I believe, any depth, except for maybe maximum depth, but I think even there they can get hit with depth charges. They're extremely effective. Um, I found I've uh, killed multiple submarines with uh, depth charges dropped by those uh, in my Montana and Arizona and things like that. Um, so yeah, uh, but if you're in a Soviet or any other type of battleship, you are screwed. Oh, I think also French battleships, I think they also have um, anti-submarine aircraft. But basically, if you're in a German battleship or a Soviet or Italian battleship, you're kind of screwed. Uh, you just have to rely on hitting them with your main guns. And armor-piercing and high-explosive are both effective. It's just that high-explosive is uh, more effective of the two. I don't know how well SAP does. I'd imagine it's more effective than armor-piercing, but, you know, maybe not. Maybe it has the same deal with Italian battleships where they only deal 10% of the damage to destroyers, and maybe that's the same thing uh, for submarines. Um, but, yeah, that's um, interesting. Um, also, uh, Ragnar is uh, in the... Uh, uh, armory for 27,000 steel. It kind of seems like a Friesland, more or less. Um, yeah, just kind of a glorified Friesland, I think. But um, I haven't really done any research in it because I'm not going to be able to get any steel ships because I don't have a clan that can, uh, you know, be good. <laughs> Anyways, um, they also added a commander, uh, Mikkel de Reuter. Um, I probably mispronounced that. It's essentially just Michael de Reuter. Uh, he's that famous Dutch admiral that essentially just walloped the uh, British and French navies in the 17th century during the first, second, and third Anglo-Dutch wars and Anglo uh, and French uh, and Dutch wars. Uh, yeah, and that established him as a major naval power. Uh, yes, Britain was not alone in controlling the seas. The Dutch were, for a long time, basically the rulers of the sea. The British had the North Atlantic, but the Dutch had pretty much everywhere else. Uh, and they stole the spice trade and everything. People always overlook the Dutch, and it's kind of interesting um, and unfortunate. But you can get this guy for 1,500 doubloons. Uh, 10, 10 skill points, kind of cool. Might pick him up because it's a special commander. 
Uh, new camouflage for the uh, FDR, but no one's going to buy that because no one should get the FDR because it's grossly overpowered. Don't even bother with it. Don't don't buy it. You just get reported continuously for using the FDR. Um, and then the main event, or at least what I think is the main event, um, actually, no, what, they, um, Dutch, uh, cruisers are in, um, or still in early access part two, so you got new combat missions for them. Um, but on to the main event of the update, uh, that is the dockyard. The Rotterdam dockyard has gone live. Um, this consists of, uh, 24 phases, and there's kind of seven sections for each of the seven provinces of the United, uh, provinces of the Netherlands. Um, and they're each named after the provinces, or each of the provinces, which is pretty cool. Uh, Friesland and Groningen are uh, one of them, so that's kind of cool. Uh, these uh, destroyers are named for provinces, as they were in real life. Um, but you can earn tons of rewards and things like that. And the ship you're uh, building is, and I actually looked this up to make sure I'm pronouncing it right, and I'm doing my very best. I'm sorry if I m miss it, but it's the Seven Provincia. Um, it translates to the Seven Provinces. Um, and it is an actual ship. It is the first dockyard ship that actually existed in real life. It is a tier eight light cruiser, carries, uh, 852 millimeter guns. Um, I will do a episode on this because I am grinding this. Um, I, I think it's worth it. Um, but basically kind of shakedown or, uh, sort of, uh, quick overview of the Zaven Provincia is, um, that it has uh, obviously eight dual purpose 152 millimeter guns. It has like Holland AA. It is, it is uh, if you buff it, it's pretty much no fly zone AA for tier eight and, and obviously tier six cruisers. And even tier 10 cruisers have difficulty getting through the flak because um, it does put up a lot of flak that does a lot of damage. It's, you know, newer ships. There's a lot of power creep for the older ships in terms of AA. Anyways, it has um, uh, a repair party consumable. Uh, a lot of people think it has a British repair party consumable, like it did in testing. They took that away because it was too strong. And immediately, yeah, it w probably would have been a bit too strong if this thing could have a 3D printer on it like the British light cruisers can. Because um, arguably, some of them, like the Minotaurs, they're pretty borderline... They're, they're just strong. They're not overpowered, but they're very, very strong. Anyways, um, but you can... Yeah, use the it has a repair party and the engine boost consumable. It's a standard eight percent engine boost, um, and it has that airstrike armament. It's not a consumable. It's an armament. Working is like trying to hammer that into us. It is an armament just like torpedoes, which this ship also does not carry. It uh, does not carry torpedoes. But this has a better airstrike armament than any of the other tier or uh, even the tier ten Dutch cruiser. It has a thirteen kilometer range and launches three strikes, which people think, oh, it's the same. No, it's not because it hits a smaller area, which means. Uh, yes, you can, are more likely to miss, easier to dodge technically, but if you l learn how to use your airstrikes right, you can deal more damage. And this is actually a viable armament of the Dezaven, uh Provincia. Um, uh, so, yeah, it'll launch three strikes, they re reload in 65 seconds, and it kind of reloads weird. It's uh, 65 seconds for the first strike, then another 65, then another 65. Uh, for the consecutive airstrikes after that until you have all of them reloaded. Then you can you can launch three airstrikes on the same ship, um, or you can kind of spread them out. They're excellent for getting ships um, out behind islands and dealing with ships that are bow-taking, like Kremlins. Um, this can... I, it has 36 millimeters of penetration on the bombs, and they do have a, like, 36% chance of starting a fire, and decent alpha. I think it's around 4,000, 3,000, something like that. Decent alpha but not overpowered so 
I do quite like it. I'm I'm going for it. I'm on um, stage eight, I think. Yeah, out of twenty-four. So the rewards include ten thousand steel, one thousand or no, one thousand steel, ten thousand coal. Excuse me. Um, and then uh, premium a tier five premium ship container. So you'll get a tier five premium ship. It's just kind of random. And when you finish it, you get the seven provincia. Uh, it's war paint camouflage, which I think looks spectacular. Uh, port slot, a ten point commander, and a commemorative flag. So I think I think it's a good deal. And if you bought the starter packs for it, um, it'll cost you three thousand nine hundred fifty doubloons, compared to the eleven thousand plus it costs for a normal tier eight cruiser. So even if it's not that strong of a cruiser, I still think it's a pretty good deal. Now you do have to grind for it, which people think is kind of like paying for it, but you know whatever. Um, and that's pretty much it. There's a new how it works uh, video for firing and dispersion. Um, yeah, and there's also a new collaboration with the Legend of uh, Galactic Heroes, some sort of anime thing again. Not very interesting unless you're actually into that, but, you know, they have uh, new camouflages and things for the Kansas, the Baltimore, the August von Parsifal, and uh, the Z-23. So, you know, if you're into that, whatever. If you're not, don't. It's nothing. Um, yeah, so that's it for World of Warships news. Lots of stuff. Um, and there's also uh, next update, 0.10.8, which is going to come in September. Um, they are introducing Soviet aircraft carriers. Yay. Oh, and you can also research the uh, Tier 10 um, Gordon Leo or something like that. I'll just call it the GL. Um, tier 10 Dutch cruiser. Um, those are questionable. The low tier Dutch cruisers are pretty good, but the uh, high tier ones are kind of questionable because they're basically just super cruisers. They have uh, extended fire duration and things like that, and questionable dispersion. So they're definitely close in ships, which is good to see Wargaming uh, introducing because you know that it, it provides an incentive to people to get in and brawl. Anyways, up next is the history of the HMS Devonshire. Alright, welcome back to Rank Amateur. We're just getting on to the history of HMS Devonshire. So HMS Devonshire, or Devonshire, or, you know, however you want to pronounce it. I don't, I don't know. Um, but, uh, it was a county-class heavy cruiser. Uh, it was a county-class heavy cruiser of the London subclass in World War II. Um, it was actually designed in, uh... Okay, the main design was designed in 1924 to 1925, but the four Londons were designed and built in from 1925 to 1926. Um, both, or there's two ships of the London subclass in World of Warships, and that's well, HMS London and HMS Devonshire or Devonshire. Um, HMS London is a tier six premium. It is the uh, heavy cruiser with a smoke screen. Um, you'll notice that it looks quite a bit different from uh, HMS Devonshire, even or Devon, yeah, Devonshire. We'll just we'll call I'll call it Devonshire. Um, but uh, it it looks quite a bit different, and that's because it's the only county class heavy cruiser to receive a uh, refit uh, pre-war. So, or well, to receive uh, just pre-war refit. So in 1939, they. Uh, received a refit, um, or no, no, it, uh, received a refit in wartime, uh, and they actually ran out of materials to refit any of the other ones because they were building, you know, battleships and, like, tanks and other important stuff that, you know, needed to knock the Germans all the way back to Berlin, um, but 
so that's why it looks quite a bit different. Uh, other than that, it's mostly the same. It's just that it received upgraded fire control and anti-aircraft armament, um, which it kind of has in-game, but it's mostly... It's actually not as good as the Devonshire um, in-game. But anyways, that's why it looks uh, so much different than Devonshire. Anyways, Devonshire. Um, so they were designed as treaty cruisers, so uh, the Washington Naval Treaty was designed to prevent a... Uh, arms race uh, that had occurred just before World War One, um, and it limited heavy cruisers to 10,000 tons. And heavy cruiser in the treaty was designed with a, uh, or was classified as being a cruiser that carried 203 millimeter guns uh, or higher caliber guns than that, and they were limited to 10,000 tons. So this this was very very tight um, to save space or to save weight and have a you know, effective cruiser, and arguably most most historians agree that the British did it the best with their county class. Um, essentially, it was supposed to have 100,000 shaft horsepower and uh, reach 33 knots, but uh, this had to be reduced to 80,000 shaft horsepower for 31.6 knots because they couldn't um, have that and then have any meaningful armor protection. Um and you kind of see it in the uh, Exeter um, and the, or well, the York class and HMS Exeter and World of Warships. It has basically no armor, and they were like, "Well, we kind of want to have some armor on this county class, this heavier class of heavy cruisers." Um, and they, so they said, "Well, we're gonna want to have eight 203 millimeter guns," um, and these guns were prone to problems. Uh, they did have a 65 degree elevation for uh, anti aircraft capabilities, but they're really never used in that. Um, uh, aspect because it was just kind of so hard to to maneuver these guns in order to shoot down aircraft. Um, they were just too cumbersome, and it proved to be a, that a five and six inch guns were far more effective at shooting at aircraft than eight inch guns were. They were just too big. Um, uh, the the uh, gun house, which you'll notice on the uh, HMS Devonshire in World of Warships, is huge. It's you got a little gun or an eight inch gun, which usually isn't that big in terms of naval guns and then this huge turret behind it and that's partially because there is a lot of room for ready ammunition stowage and things like that um but they proved to be problem prone and they were so only rely or they were only perfected before slightly before the war and even then they were uh had uh mechanical difficulties um but this design had a flush decked hull which allowed uh stability in uh storms and it was very very high out of the water it's huge um, and you can see that in World of Warships. Most ships have a sort of high uh, forecastle, so the, the bow of the ship up until the bridge is pretty high out of the water, and then it usually steps down to the stern. Uh, Devonshire's did, or the counties did not have that. They had a, um, a flush decked hull that was two or three decks out of the water, and um, it uh, allowed greater longitudinal longitudinal stability at the cost of some weight um, and allowed them to put greater armor protection. Uh, the first uh, groups, uh, which were the Kent class, had a sort of little bit of a torpedo bulge, but this proved, uh, proved largely ineffective and just uh, uh, cost them more weight, so they got rid of that on the, um, Devon, or the London and the Dorsetshire uh, groups that were, came later. Um, and then uh, this omittance of a uh, torpedo uh, bulge allowed for an extra th uh, three quarters of a knot of speed on the Devonshire um, and the London group in general. And after this group, there was a plan to, uh, 
well, there was a plan to launch further heavy cruisers because you notice that these are these are just after the Hawkins class. The Hawkins class was kind of a a little bit of a carryover from the World War One cruisers to the um, County class, and the County classes were meant to be sort of you know by World War Two be kind of old by that time. Uh, and they were old, but they were meant to have uh, newer replacements. And that newer replacements was going to be the Northumberland and the Surrey. You may recognize that name, HMS Surrey, as the Tier 7 in World of Warships. Yes, they did plan to build that ship, although it's questionable whether the ship would have actually looked like that or would have been... Um, would have had like 12 guns or things like that. There's all sorts of des different designs of what the Surreys could have been, but I believe the approved design was... Similar to the one in World of Warships, I believe it was pretty much uh, an exact copy, or almost an exact copy of the County class. Um, uh, maybe with better fire control arrays and things like that. It wouldn't I don't think it would have looked um, quite so strange as it did in as it does in World of Warships. Anyways, um, we'll get into the specifications of HMS Devonshire. So she was laid down on March 16th, 1926, uh, launched on October 22nd, 1927, and commissioned on the 18th of March, 1929. Um, and uh, she was a uh, London subclass of the County Class Heavy Cruisers. She had displacement of 9,850 long tons. Um, and so the British were able to say with that, that, oh, yes, our heavy cruiser meets the treaty expectations. Well, only sort of, because when you actually loaded the ship with ammunitions and personnel and food supplies, it weighed 13,000 tons. So only nominally did it actually weigh less than 10,000 tons. Um, the length was 632 feet 8 inches, or 192.8 meters. Uh, the beam was 66 feet, or 20.1 meters. Uh, the, the draft was 20 feet 9 inches, or 6.3 meters, and it had 80,000 shaft horsepower, just like the rest of the uh, class. Uh, the propulsion consisted of four shafts, and it had four Parsons-geared steam turbines on those shafts, and it had eight Admiralty three-drum boilers powering those turbines. Uh, it could reach a speed of 32.25 knots, and it had a range of 12,500 nautical miles at a speed of 12 knots, which is kind of slow uh, for that range. Um, at a complement of just 784, which was less than the American heavy cruisers. You look at, like, the same time American heavy cruisers, such as the Northampton class, which carried around 1,200 people. That was pretty light on men. They carried four twin 8-inch or 203mm Mark 8 guns. Um, they had four single QF 4-inch 102mm Mark 5 AA guns, four single 2-pounder 40mm AA guns, and four quadruple 21-inch um, 533mm torpedo tubes. Yep. All British cruisers carried torpedo tubes. Um, in World War II, at least. Uh, they had some armor, not very much, though. The belt armor was only 25mm thick. The decks were 1.375 to 1.5 inches thick, or 34.9 to 38.1mm thick. The barbettes have 25mm. The turrets have 25mm. The bulkheads have 25mm. And the magazines... Have, no, they don't actually have 25 millimeters. I know you guys were trying to guess that. They have 2 to 4.375 inches or 50.8 to 111.1 millimeters armor. So that terrible armor scheme that they have in World of Warships, uh, and for a lot of ships at Tier 6 that gets nerfed from reality, that is pretty accurate, if, um, if not buffed from reality to make them fit at Tier 6 as a 
heavy, and I'm using air quotes here, heavy cruiser. They're pretty much like the Northamptons in that they're heavy only because of the armament and not because of the armor behind them. Although they are better armored than York class, so they have that going for them. So why did the um, British design these cruisers uh, the way they did? Well, they were meant to sort of serve on outposts and things like that, and what was then a large colonial empire. Um, and as such, they didn't really need a lot of armor because of the fact that, um, uh, you're not really fe uh, facing heavily armored targets in your colonial empire. It's usually just pirates and, you know, general criminals and scum of the world that you're facing and dealing with. So yes, you need those 8-inch guns, but you don't really expect taking too much return fire. So they weren't really w well armored. And it was, they were just meant to be cheap, effective, and fit the Washington Naval Treaty. And in that sense, they basically made all their requirements, or they met all their requirements. Um, and remember, when these ships were designed in the 1920s, uh, people really did, didn't think that World War II was going to happen. Uh, they thought that World War I was the war to end all wars, and so they weren't really bu building for another one. Um, or at least, so people thought. There was a lot of governments that secretly were preparing for another war, uh, notably Germany. Uh, Britain kind of was, not really though, uh, and France especially was not. Um, anyways, but, so they weren't really designed, uh, to do anything but serve in colonial outposts and kind of, they were designed to serve on their own, uh, they were also designed to carry an aircraft catapult if, you know, the need should ever arise, so they had facilities and space aside to do that, um, but they did not actually carry catapults um, during peacetime. Although during wartime, there was it seemed that there was uh, some of them that were fitted with catapult fighters. Um, notably, uh, Suffolk carried one, and I think a few other others did, but uh, Devonshire did not carry any um, catapult fighters. I don't think any of the Londons did. Um, I don't know if that was due to lack of resources or manpower, or just they decided to use the space allocated for the um, catapult fighters for something else, but, um, yes, uh, the Devonshire did not carry anything, uh, the other ones did carry supermarine walruses, though, which are just kind of, uh, reconnaissance spotting planes, um, and they are obviously flow planes. Um, so, the history of HMS Devonshire. Oh, and I realized I made a mistake, uh, Devonshire was fitted with a catapult in the early war, uh, but I believe this was taken away in her 1944 refit. Um, to, you know, make space for more anti-aircraft guns, because that was seen uh, as more of a threat during uh, the later parts of the war, um, and this was a correct assumption, especially if the ship were to be uh, transferred to the Pacific. So, uh, starting off on the history of the ship, and uh, it kind of starts off on, on an unfortunate note, because uh, in uh, gunnery, or during gunnery training on July 26, 1929, a breech block was uh, opened with the propellant charge for that round that was being fired still inside. There was like a miscommunication, and that round was then detonated. The propellant charge detonated, and instead of blowing all the force outward, it blew it back into the gunnery, or uh, into, into the gun uh, turret, and killed 18 people inside. Um, and the, they were sent back to England for repairs with, uh, quote, the turret swung around in the gun's awry. Um, so, you know, turret was basically completely demolished and it had to be replaced. Um, she also received a high-angle control system to help direct her anti-aircraft gun crews uh, more accurately, and a catapult was then fitted. And uh, four more single 4-inch AA guns, in addition to a pair of quadruple uh, Vickers uh, 
50 caliber 12.7 millimeter Mark III machine guns were added in 1936 to 1937. And during the Spanish Civil War, uh, Devonshire brought the nationalist emissary to the island of Menoraca. Or men, yeah, Menoraca, on the 7th of February 1939, and this is the site of the Republican surrender um, to the Nationalists, and they, they did this surrender aboard the cruiser, where she then sailed to Marcel, France, with 452 Republican refugees on board. So now we get to the Second World War, and when the Second World War broke out, uh, Devonshire was in the Mediterranean, and she was soon transferred to the home fleet. Uh, and she quickly saw action after this, or kind of saw action after this. So, um, the armed merchant cruiser Raro, Raro, Rara Polindi uh, was sunk by the German battleship Schornhorst in Gneisenau on the 23rd of November 1939. Um, Devonshire and um, the battleships uh, HMS Nelson and HMS Rodney, uh, two sister ships, were sent from the Clyde in what turned out to be a wild goose chase, and they were ordered to find and sink these battleships. However, they could not find nor could they sink these battleships, so the mission was ultimately a fail. In March 1940, she became a flagship uh, and flew the flag of the future first Sea Lord Vice Admiral John H.D. Cunningham, a very famous admiral who served mostly in the Mediterranean against the Italian fleet with great effect. And, um... So yeah, that, that's kind of interesting, I think, right before he became famous. And then during this time, uh, the squadron was tasked with covering Scotland, the Faroe Islands, and Iceland from any German, you know, uh, invasions or anything like that, which never really materialized. But um, they were also tasked, uh, later tasked with um, uh, ferrying troops from... Um, uh, Rosenth to Starvager in Bergen, Norway, uh, in order to count uh, to counter the uh, proposed German invasion of Norway, or what they thought would be a German invasion of Norway, and they were right, except they were just a bit too late. On that same day, the Germans started to uh, started their invasion of Norway, and pretty much after that, they blitzkrieg throughout the entire country and pushed all uh, and any remaining uh, Allied troops out of the country. And because of this, uh, Admiralty ordered that troops, but not their equipment, be unloaded from the cruisers on the evening of the 8th of April, um, and that the cruisers were to uh, sail and search for German ships known to be at sea. Uh, this was later cancelled, and the squadron was ordered to rendezvous with the main body of the home fleet. And later that day, German bombers attacked British ships, and the Devonshire suffered a near miss, but did not take any casualties. Um... On the 11th, the squadron was attached in an unsuccessful goose chase for more German ships that were alleged to be in the area around Trondheim and rejoined with the fleet two days later after they determined that this was in fact a wild goose chase they were not going to find anything. Uh, this happened a lot of times in the war and I believe this is going to become a common theme with the Devonshire as she spent most of her time in sort of the North Sea. Um, yeah, so Cunningham's ships were then detached to the city of Tromoso, um, and they were supposed to refuel there. It actually took negotiations between uh, Cunningham and the officials there in order for them to be allowed to refuel. Um, don't know why that would happen. Uh, maybe there's just limited resources, and they're trying to save it for their uh, own Norwegian troops. Um, and he was also ordered to bring a Norwegian troops west uh, from Kikernes to there. Uh, the squadron arrived there in the afternoon of the 15th and escorted Norwegian troops back to Tromoso. Um, Devonshire covered the evacuation of British and French troops from the Namsos um, at the beginning of May and was nearly hit when the evacu 
evacuation forces were attacked by German aircraft. Yep. Common theme of being attacked by German aircraft after as they were withdrawing on the 30th or the 3rd of May, not the 30th of May. And um, uh, Devonshire also evacuated King Hakon VII, um, which is the king of Norway, and most of the Norwegian government officials, including the Prime Minister Johan... I, okay, I'm not going to pronounce that last name. It's kind of a jumble of letters and Nargardsvoid? Yeah, Nargardsvoid. That's my attempt. Um, from Tromso, or Tromso, on the 7th of June. Uh, it totaled 461 passengers on board, which would bring the total something around, you know, yeah, something around like 1,200 people on the ship, which is a lot of sh uh, people for a cruiser that's not exactly huge. Um, yeah, so that's interesting. Uh, the ship also passed in um, within 50 miles of the aircraft carrier, or of action in which the aircraft carrier Glorious and two destroyers were sunk by Schornhorst and Gneisenau. So she was 50 miles away from action where she could have been sunk and probably would have been sunk by these two uh, battleships. And battleships with air quotes because they didn't really have huge guns, although there was more than enough to punch through that 25mm belt. Um, and then although the enemy sighting report had been received on the Devonshire, Cunningham's uh, orders were to get to get Hakan the Seventh uh, to safety and basically, you know, kind of turn a blind eye and just hope that your uh, fellow British soldiers and sailors could get through their situation, just speed up and get away. And that's basically what they did. They just sped up and got out of there. And, you know, HMS Glorious uh, did not survive the engagement. Uh, next up was the preparation for Operation Menace, which is the British naval attack on Dakar, Senegal, uh, prior to a planned landing by the Free French. Um, which was detached from the home fleet, and the ship was then attached from, or detached from the home fleet on the 20th of August and assigned to Force M, which was the Royal Navy component of the operation. And, uh, she was still Cunningham's flagship, and she departed Clyde on the 31st, escorting a troop convoy, uh, to Gibraltar while she was on her way down, uh, further south the African coast. Um, and then they arrived in Gibraltar on September 3rd. Uh, and the 14th, Cunningham dispatched the uh, squadron, and they also had now picked up the aircraft carrier HMS Ark Royal, uh, which would become famous in the search for the Bismarck, or in the hunt and sinking of the Bismarck, uh, in an unsuccessful um, goose chase again to look at some uh, Vichy French cruisers that were bombed for Dakar. Um, yeah, so lots of wild goose chases going around here. And uh, by this time, he... the or, by this time, Admiral Cunningham had hoisted his flag above HMS Barham, which is a Queen Elizabeth-class battleship. Um, and uh, Devonshire and her Australian sister ship, which was the HMS Australia, uh, engaged these French cruisers uh, when they, once they were spotted. And this was a bit of a later day, so the initial... Uh, chase was in fact a wild goose chase but they did manage to stumble upon them eventually and then uh they maneuvered in the harbor on the second day of battle um and they couldn't really do anything because the visibility was so poor they couldn't range their targets properly and scored no hits um barham however was likely damaged in the action so uh, admiral cunningham did transfer his flag back to the devonshire which seems to be a ship he kind of liked um then uh, the next day, uh, De HMS Devonshire fired 
200 shells from remaining guns and did not score a single hit on the French ships because they were obscured by smoke screens. So they're just lobbing tons of money and shells and things and not doing much damage against these uh, French ships. And the attack was eventually abandoned and she was employed to escort a British ship to uh, Douala, French Cameroons, in early October and then blockaded the coast of Gabon to um, assist the Free French forces uh, which were invading um, the uh, French or the Gabon uh, to take it back from the Vichy French forces. Um, and then on the 7th of November, her supermarine walrus uh, seaplane helped locate the and sink the Vichy French submarine Poncelet. Is yeah, that's I think that's how you pronounce it, Poncelet off Gabon. And um, so yeah, it's kind of interesting. I don't think the Vichy uh, French were ever in open warfare with the British, um, or technically like declared warfare, but there was definitely. As you can see, lots of conflict between the two. The uh, Vichy French did not get along with the British. It was more like uh, back towards the start of the 19th century, where the Fr uh, British and French, whenever they see each other, whether it was declared war or not, would just kind of start to shoot at each other. Kind of weird how that works. Anyways, uh, now on to 1941. Uh, the Devonshire uh, remained in the South Atlantic and participated in another wild goose chase, and this was to hunt for the German commerce raider uh, Comoran in uh, January of 1941. Uh, this search, however, was for the German commerce radar Comoran. And this, to you naval history buffs, may uh, strike you as interesting because that German commerce radar would later go on to um, catch and sink the Australian Leander-class cruiser HMAS Sydney. Um, unfortunately, she would sink the HMAS Sydney by complete surprise of the crew because she did have concealed weaponry. She had concealed like 127 millimeter guns, torpedo tubes, and anti-aircraft guns. So these these crew members on the HMS or HMAS Sydney were just standing out on deck as the ship approached them to point blank range when the guns folded up from underneath the deck and proceeded to machine gun them down where they stood on the deck. There were no survivors from the sinking of the Sydney. Um, and the sinking of the Sydney was uh, kind of uh, sort of like a Bermuda Triangle incident for a while until they could determine that it was a Comoran that uh, sank her. Anyways, the ship was transferred to the home fleet, or back to the home fleet, and refitted in Liverpool on the 19th of February, um, and that refit would last until the 22nd of May, uh, 1941. And she had her two-pounder guns replaced by two octuple mounts in uh, early warning type 281 radar. Yes, this ship did carry radar. Actually, this, um, I believe this, uh, 1941 refit is kind of the, uh, refit that she is in, uh, World of Warships. That Type 281 radar is on the sternmost mast. It kind of looks like a pitchfork that you stuck on, on a mast and just started spinning around. Um, it was, uh, widely used on British ships. In fact, I think pretty much all British ships in World War II had a Type 281 radar or something similar mounted on them. Um, at least in the early war. And um, she escorted British carriers as they raided Cochrane's uh, and Pestimo in Norway and Finland in uh, late July. And the following month, uh, Devonshire provided distant cover for the first convoy to Russia, which was Operation Dervish. And this was after Operation, or uh, this was after Operation Barbarossa had started. Um, and the Russians realized that it might be good to ally with the British as they had a lot more money and a lot better um, uh, military engineering. Or at least a lot more experience in that. Um, 
in military technology. Um, and she was transferred to the Eastern Fleet. And then before her departure, she received a pair of 20mm Orlikan uh, light AA guns in September. Um, and on the 2nd of November, the ship led a force that captured a Vichy uh, convoy bound for uh, French Indochina uh, off of South Africa. And French Indochina is um, uh, Vietnam. Okay, yeah. I was looking for that word. Um, yes, but French Indochina is now what we call Vietnam, and by intercepting that uh, convoy, they probably would have been, uh, or this is probably a blessing for the Vichy French, because by the time they would have got to um, French Indochina and unloaded, they would still be stuck in French Indochina when the Japanese were pushing through, because they pushed through uh, later that year and in early, 19 in early 1942. So this is probably doing them a favor. Uh, and she also sank a German commerce raider, the auxiliary cruiser Atlantis, off of the coast of Ascension Island. After this engagement with the auxiliary cruiser Atlantis, the ship was refitted in Norfolk, Virginia. Man, it would have been cool to Norfolk, uh, be in Norfolk, Virginia in World War II, because you would have gotten to see all these ships from all these different nations. Oh, man, that would have been cool. Um, I actually have been to Norfolk, Virginia, but uh, obviously not in World War II, so I only saw American Navy ships. Um, but that would have been cool to see. Anyways, this lasted from the 24th of January to the 7th of March, 1942. Uh, she received a Type 273 gunnery radar, which looks like a giant lantern. Um, makes the ship kind of look like a lighthouse. So it, it's kind of interesting. Uh, and she also received six more Orlikans. Um, and after completion of her refit, uh, Dor or Devonshire, I was going to say Dorsetshire for some reason, uh, Devonshire was sent to join the 4th Cruiser Squadron of the Eastern Fleet and escorted a convoy from Charleston, South Carolina to Freetown, Sierra Leone. Um, and this escorting thing was just kind of like an in-between thing as she was going to join the 4th Fleet. On the 25th of April, the ship escorted a convoy uh, from Durban, South Africa, to Madagascar as a part of Operation Ironclad which was uh, launched to preempt a possible uh, German occupation of the island of Durban um, in South Africa, which it was a bit of a stretch, but, you know, I guess you never know in wartime, and it was true that the French had, or the Vichy French had allowed um, Japanese forces to use air bases located in their French Indochina to launch airstrikes that resulted in the sinking of HMS Repulse and HMS Prince of Wales. So it was plausible that they would also permit Japanese access to the military facilities that were located on Madagascar had the Japanese uh, requested that surface, but they never did. So uh, in late 1942, Dors uh, Dev Dorsetshire, what am I doing? Okay, Devonshire's single 4-inch AA guns were replaced with twin gun mounts uh, of the Mark 16 guns of that same caliber. Um, they're just more reliable guns is basically what it was. Um, the ship remained in the Far East until um, May 1943, covering troop convoys from... The Suez, all the way to Australia, which, you know, took a long time when you're only steaming at, like, 15, or 12 or 15 knots because of those slow troop transports. Um, and by this time, her quadruple 50 caliber machine guns and six Orlikan mounts had been uh, replaced by another pair of octuple, octuple two-pounder mounts and a dozen twin Orlikan mounts, uh, which were just, you know, more firepower equals uh, better anti-aircraft capabilities. Um... 
and then she began a lengthy refit that lasted until the 20th of March, 1944. Um, and during this refit, the X turret and one twin Orlikin mount were replaced by uh, two octuple two-pounder mounts or and eight single Orlikin mounts. And her radar suite was modernized to the Type 281B, uh, replacing the Type 281 and uh, the full range of anti-aircraft gunnery radars was installed. So, you know, she was quite a modern ship by this point in the war. And to accommodate all of the new equipment, her catapult in this refit was removed. So, um, actually, this, that's interesting, because that means that her, uh, her refit that we see in um, well, the warships is actually fictional. There should be an aircraft catapult on the ship, but for whatever reason, they don't have it modeled. Uh, that's quite strange. Um, I don't know why they wouldn't model that. Huh. Weird. Anyways, um, yeah, so that was, uh, interesting that they would, uh, remove a main battery turret, but clear there wasn't really many surface engagements that were going to happen by this time of the war, so the, you know, Having one less turret was not going to really impact the uh, Devonshire's uh, effective combat effectiveness, anyways. Then she returned to duty with the home fleet in Scapaflow on or in April of 1944, and then from July of 1944 till the war's end in May of 1945, or well, European uh, VE Day, uh, the Devonshire escorted uh, carrier convoys and raids uh, that were mounted on shipping and other targets in Norwegian waters. Yes, she did spend a lot of time in Norwegian waters in the cold northern climate. Um, and then with the end of hostilities in Europe, uh, Devonshire was now the flagship of Rear Admiral James Erechtchai, yeah, which was a uh, future flag officer of Norway. Um, sailed on the 12th of May to Oslo, Norway, and then she went to Copenhagen the next day, and from there she escorted the German cruisers that had been captured and transferred to the British for now as war reparations, uh, Prinz Eugen and Nuremberg, to William Shaven on the 24th and 26th of May. In June, Devonshire was again the flagship of the 1st Cruiser Squadron under command of Vice Admiral uh, Roderick, Roderick uh, McGregor, and which returned uh, King Hakon to uh, Norway, arriving in Oslo on the 7th of June. So that's kind of funny. They, they took um, the king out of Norway and then replaced him after the war was over. Um, yeah, and the king did not actually sail on the ship in this one, unfortunately. Um, the He sailed on the sister ship uh, Norfolk. Or HMS Norfolk, and later that month she was outfitted for use as a troop ship, and used to transport troop personnel to and from Australia for the rest of the year. And um, uh, on the 29th of September, Devonshire helped survivors of the SS Empire Patrol, a freighter loaded with Greek refugees bound for the port of Syed, from Port Sad, Egypt to Greece. Um, and it unfortunately caught fire, so probably lots of casualties there. But uh, Devonshire was there to help out in any way she could. And post-war, the ship was converted into cadet training ship and served until this role, or served in this role until 1954. And part of the reconstruction, uh, most of her armament was removed, and by 1949 consisted of a single 8-inch gun turret, two 4-inch gun turrets, and single examples of quadruple two-pounder, single, and twin orlican mounts, and plus a single 40-millimeter Bofors light AA gun. In uh, 1953, she took part in a fleet review to celebrate the coronation of Queen Elizabeth II, which is the current reigning monarch of uh, uh, the 
British Empire. I guess British Empire, sort of. Right now, it's pretty much just the United Kingdom, um, because their empire kind of fell apart in the last, uh, you know, part of the 20th century. But uh, Devonshire was then sold on scrap, for, sold for scrap on the 16th of June, 1954, uh, and arrived in Newport, Wales, on the 12th of December, 1954, where she was broken up by John Cashmore Limited. Um, so that is it for HMS Devonshire. Unfortunately, the British were not really keen on museum ships for whatever reason. So like 90% of their ships, or more than 90% of their ships got scrapped. Um, the only one that's, uh, World War II vintage that survived was HMS Belfast, a very, very famous museum ship in, um, the River Thames by the London Bridge at the Imperial War Museum. So I wish to visit that ship sometime, but it's kind of a long flight away. Anyways, we'll be back shortly. All right, welcome back to Rank Amateur. We're just about to get started with the World of Warships section of this episode on HMS Devonshire. Um, so I just opened up a World of Warships fitting tool, um, the primary resource that pretty much everyone uses now that Little White Mouse's reviews um, are the thing of the past. Um, and even before that, uh, World of Warships fitting tool, if you need some specifications on a ship, it is guaranteed to be on this website. So that's wildsft.com. Highly recommend it. Anyways, but I, I opened this up, and on the title page now, it used to just have kind of a World of Warships logo and then the current World of Warships version posted on it. And then you could, you know, it's a pretty basic website. It's just run by a single guy. Um, uh, highly recommend uh, keeping ads on to support him. Anyways, um run by a single guy, and now, apparently, the community contributor uh, crisis has uh, reached him as well, and he's uh, voicing his opinion, because he has now put a little logo. It's a, a play on the Wargaming's uh, logo, and Wargaming is the developers for World of Warships. Um, instead of the red circle with the two arrows uh, pointing towards the top uh, right corner, he has now put a, a, a dice in the place of that red circle and put wargambling.net, let's battle. Um, under it, and this is a play on the sort of thing that um, uh, Mighty Jingles in his latest World of Warships episode introduced. He said, uh, "Welcome to World of Warships, or uh, published by Wargaming, or should I say, War Gambling?" So that's kind of stuck, and it's been floating around, and uh, it's now been posted on this thing, and it says, uh, "Let's battle," and then asterisks on that "Let's battle." It said, "By let's battle, we mean f you right in the wallet," and then above this, there's a big a big display that says World of Warships, a terrible game by a terrible company. Yeah, I don't know if I agree with that. Terrible company, definitely, but I would say an amazing game. Anyways, continuing on um, our original intent by visiting this um, website, um, and that was to go over the World of Warships version of HMS Devonshire. And so, as usual... No captain skills or modules have been applied. Let's go over her specifications. So just like in real life, she does have that 4x2, 203mm, 50 caliber BL Mark VIII guns. Um, however, they do have slightly less range than in real life. And by slightly less range, I mean like probably about half to three quarters less range. Uh, she has a base range of 12.73 kilometers when you unlock the ship. Um, let's put the highest equipment on there, just so you don't... This thing is kind of a terrible stock grind, so I just recommend having the free XP around to just upgrade it straight up. So, this ship has a fully upgraded equipment, but no modules or skills have been applied to it um, at that point. Um, 
Anyways, so uh, same guns and everything. A 14 kilometer range, which isn't—it's not great, but it's not—it's really cool. not good, but it's not the worst. I don't think. Um, I don't think it's the worst, but because um, uh, the KMS Weimar at tier seven has a 14 kilometer range, but it does have the ability to mount a spotter plane, so it can actually extend that to 18 kilometers because it has a special 30% boost spotter plane uh, for the range. Uh, reload time is 14 seconds. It seems like it's long. But I can tell you it's really not that long because I believe the Pensacola has around that. Um, let me pull the Pensacola up. Pensacola. Uh, it has a 15-second reload. So, yeah, it may seem long on the surface, especially for people who are used to playing high-tier heavy cruisers or the Des Moines, which has a 5-second reload. Um, but really, it's not long. It's actually quite good. Um, in my opinion, quite balanced. If it was like a 12-second reload, it would be overpowered um, at Tier 6. Or a 10 second reload. Um, 180 degree turn time is a pretty zippy uh, 22.5 seconds. Uh, for a heavy cruiser at tier 6, that's pretty fast. I mean, you look at the Pensacola, it has like a 30 or 35 second uh, turn time. So it's pretty quick. It's noticeably faster um, than the Pensacola. Uh, the uh, accuracy, I mean, it appears as though it's okay. It's a bit questionable in reality, though. Uh, Sigma's 2.0. Uh, maximum dispersion horizontal is uh, 130 meters. Maximum dispersion vertical is 78 meters. It fires a 203 millimeter, 256 pound HE shell. It has a raw DPM of 113,143. I believe that's pretty much in line with the other heavy cruisers, uh, if not a little bit higher. It has a maximum damage of an enhanced 3,300. Um, the initial shell velocity is 814 meters a second. It's kind of a weird velocity. It's faster than the Americans' um, armor-piercing and stuff, but it's slower than pretty much... It, it's a bit slower than, obviously, the Italians and the Germans and things like that, so it's kind of hard to aim, I find. Even harder than the Americans' to aim. Uh, shell weight is 119 kil or 116 kilograms. Uh, the depth explosion, it can explode up to 3 meters down. Uh, uh, like a three meter radius uh, when it hits submarines. Uh, HE penetration is uh, 34 millimeters. Uh, it does not have enhanced penetration until you get to tier nine in the British heavy cruisers, but um, it does have good penetration. The burn probability is extraordinarily high though, 17% base. Yes, that is 17% base, which means you should almost be starting a, a fire every salvo. You, you pretty much will start a fire every salvo if you do it right. Um, it has 3.32 fires per minute. Um, and in the H, uh, the AP shell is a 203 millimeter AP 256 uh, pound shell. Has a raw TPM of I think a fairly low 154,000. I think it's fairly low. I don't know all the benchmarks, but I think it's either mediocre to low. It's nothing special. Maximum damage is 4,500. Uh, same shell velocity, same shell weights. Uh, standard ricochet angles 45 to 60 degrees. Um, depth explosion is only one meter. It has an overmatch of 14 millimeters of armor, so it can penetrate 14 millimeters of armor uh, from any angle, which is the bow and stern plating of all tier five cruisers. Um, has an arming threshold of 34 millimeters and a fuse timer of uh, 0.33 seconds, um, or no, 0.033 seconds. Um, and it has pretty atrocious firing angles. I will say that. Uh, the firing angles are better forwards. Mm, I think they're basically the same. They're they're basically the same, if not a little better forwards, but they're pretty atrocious uh, for a cruiser. Uh, 
although not the worst. It's not good. British, all British ships have pretty terrible firing angles, except for the Tiger 59. But the Tiger 59's got many more problems. Um, anyways, uh, these the guns are pretty much the highlight of the ship. I do love the guns. The AP shells are a bit anemic and borderline useless, but the HE shells are amazing. Um, and the torpedoes, they're okay. Uh, torpedoes are 2x4, 530mm QR Mark IV torpedoes with a range of 8.01 kilometers, but basically just 8 kilometers. I think I think it's a 0.1 on all ships, uh, more than their like actual range, just to make sure it actually hits the 8 kilometer range. Um, that's just game mechanic. Maximum damage, 15,000, uh, 433, 96 second reload time. Uh, has a 61 knot torpedo speed and a fairly low, or I think average detectability range of around 1.3 kilometers. It gives you an action time or reaction time if you're stationary of 8.2 seconds. And uh, yeah, everything else is standard. Torpedo firing angles are also pretty uh, forward. They're atrocious. Backwards, they're actually pretty good. Uh, secondary armament is quite useless. Uh, you got those four. Uh, by 202 millimeter, 45 caliber QF Mark six or Mark 14 guns, um, they're useless in all respect. Uh, except for yeah, they're pretty much useless. Don't even bother building in with them because uh, this ship does not like uh, getting within its secondary battery range of a mere five kilometers. Yeah, you don't want to get in that range. A defense is decent. It's okay. Eh, it's it's not very good. I mean. It's not Japanese levels of bad, but it's and it's not it's not American levels of good, but it's kind of close to that. But it's not like a pan-European uh, destroyer where you can kind of stop strikes. Although it does come with the defensive fire consumable, which can be useful. However, I don't really take it. You can build into A with this ship. However, I don't recommend it. But you can, and you'll see some effect, especially with your clustered with some other ships. But the only real ships I build into AA with right now would be like the pan-European DDs. The Dutch cruisers, including the Seven uh, Provincia, um, in like Montana and Des Moines. Don't bother really with anything else, or other than taking me like one or two skills if you have extra points. Anyways, uh, survivability has thirty-four thousand four hundred hit points. Uh, fires burn for thirty seconds and will deal three thousand ninety-six damage. Flooding lasts for forty seconds and will deal uh, three thousand uh, four hundred forty damage per flood. Uh, I believe floods also slow you down too. I think. I actually just learned that. You know, I've been playing World of Warships for so long, and uh, I learn stuff every day. <laughs> um, concealment by sea is 11.17 kilometers, which is actually kind of stealthy. Um, uh, the Pensacola... Uh, I'm just kind of using the Pensacola as a sort of yardstick uh, for comparison. Let's see what the Pensacola has for uh, concealment. I believe it is uh, worse than that. Uh, for concealments on full equipment, uh, but no modulus or commander skills. Yeah, 13 point, yeah, so this is 13.74 on the Pensacola. So this thing is quite stealthy. And if you do uh, take concealment expert, you can get this down quite a bit. Uh, or 10%, you know, standard. Uh, maximum speed of a kind of disappointing 31.2 knots. You know you like to see like 32 to 34 knots here. Um, but, you know, you take a speed flag, you'll get up to there. Turning circle radius is seven point, or 710 meters, which is pretty much average. Um, yeah. Um, it's, if not a bit long. Pensacola has a 620 meter uh, turning circle radius. Um, order shift time is 7.8 seconds, which is a bit long, again, longer than Pensacola. 
Um, but I think it's it's workable, definitely workable. It's not atrocious. Um, uh, however, with that shorter range, you are going to be facing fire that's going to be coming in more quickly. So sometimes that comes up by eating the butt. But this is kind of this is kind of the rudder shift time that's more or less goes up the entire um, Royal Navy heavy cruiser line. So um, for upgrades, I'm going to take main armor and mod one in the first slot, and then I'm going to take ooh, well this I'm going to take damage con mod two or damage con mod one in the second slot. But you could go for or uh, engine room protection or hydroacoustic search mod. Um, although hydroacoustic search mod is not worth putting on a tier six ship, but if you're gonna be keeping the ex or not the extra the uh, HMS Devonshire, then yeah, might be worth it. Um, you're gonna want aiming systems modification one um, because the accuracy is kind of questionable. Um, it it I don't I don't know what's wrong about this. It seems okay on paper, but for whatever reason, it seems just really inconsistent. So that's why I take the accuracy mod. Um, you could take main battery modification two to get that turret traverse up, um, and that will give you a turret traverse. Oh boy, why am I missing it? Oh yeah, here, 19.57 seconds, which is pretty quick. And since it's already so quick, um, I just recommend taking aiming systems. Then you're going to want to take rudder shift on uh, uh, mod one, or steering gears mod one in um, the fourth slot. That's going to bring your rudder shift down to a 6.3 seconds, which is quite good. Um... And quite workable. Uh, for commander skills, you're going to want ex uh, gun feeder, and then you're going to want priority target. You're also going to want adrenaline rush and consume an expert for a 10 point commander. Uh, and what this does for your ship is that's going to um, this build main armaments improves the survivability of your um, main gun mounts and torpedoes. Uh, the accuracy then mod then brings your dispersion down to 121 meters and 73 meters uh, uh, horizontal and vertical, respectively. Um, that concealments expert brings your concealment down to 10.6 kilometers, which is quite good. Gives you that four kilometer um, firing um, sort of buffer uh, where you'll you can operate, and if it gets too hot, you just stop firing and go undetected. That's kind of more or less how this ship plays. It plays a lot like a Japanese cruiser. In fact, all the British heavy cruisers play like a Zao does, um, which is good. They're just better Japanese cruisers, is what these ships are. Um, and then obviously priority target allows you to see who's firing at you and it can afford you to be uh, allow you to be more aggressive because if you know no one's targeting you you can pull some sneaky maneuvers and things like that and cheeky things um uh i recommend take it for your next skill oh man there's so many things you could do i would stay away from heavy ap and heavy he and sap shells because you don't you rarely use ap in this ship um even though you have gun feeder, I would take gun feeder. Um, you can also take greets the gears, um, just to reduce your um, your 180 turn time, and that reduces that to 19.57 uh, seconds. And if you take it uh, with uh, main battery mod one or mod two, you can get it down to a staggering 17.1 seconds, 0.01 seconds. But uh, that's not worth it. So take make sure you take that aiming systems. Anyways. Um, yeah, so you can take Grease the Gears for turret first, uh, Superintendent for more consumables. I would actually recommend taking Superintendent first because uh, HMS Devonshire does have a heal uh, has that will give you four consumables. It starts off with three. Normally has uh, it's it's not a super heal. You don't get that till tier eight, but it's definitely useful because of the tier six cruisers. Only the British uh, ships have heals, I believe. Oh, and the Grash Bay, but the Grash Bay is a whole different animal. Um, 
It has a reload time of 80 seconds and a uh, uh, action time of 28 seconds. Hydro, standard hydro, 4 kilometer detection for ships and submarines. Um, detection of torpedoes is 3 kilometers. And detection, or no, and consumables you get 4 if you take superintendent, 3 if you don't. 120 second reload time, 100 second action time. Definitely recommend taking hydro over um, uh, defensive AA because it's just in general more useful for every ship, especially late game. Um, yeah, that's my two cents. Um, don't need inertia fuse for high explosive shells. Um, you could take survivability expert, however, that kind of wrecks your commander for um, HMS Goliath or anything that has uh, later down the line has significant amount of hit points because you really don't need it. Um, so if you're just using this commander for uh, Devonshire, then definitely take survivability expert. Otherwise, don't bother with it. Um, uh, top grade gunner you could take, but eh, I just don't. I don't. I don't see when it's worth it. Um, uh, you could take last stand. There's so many different skills. Oh, L oh, skill I forgot. Definitely take demolition expert um, for your second skill, or for, no second skill after you get to tier um, to a ten point commander superintendent. Then demolition expert for the extra one uh, percent chance of fire. Um, that brings it up to a staggering eighteen percent chance of fire, which is absolutely awesome. Um, and then if you stack both flags on there for the fire flags, you can get it to a twenty-one percent chance or twenty, excuse me, twenty percent chance of starting a fire. And if you sequentially uh, fire your guns, uh, firing one turret at a time, you'll have a worse accuracy. Uh, than just firing salvo by salvo, but you'll burn the world down. <laughs> and remember, this is tier 6, where a lot of people don't know to hold their damage uh, control when they're being uh, shot at by a cruiser, so if they damage con right away, you just uh, wait a little bit for their damage con to come off, and then you just light them up again. It's not uncommon to start two fires in a salvo with this thing. It's awesome. Um, anyways... Uh, but yeah, and then that's 15 points, so then after that, you're kind of on your own. You could take Survivability Expert, you could take Top Grade Gunner, um, yeah, I mean, or you could take Grease the Gears if you really, really want to. I mean, I would, that'd be the last thing I would take, um, and then, actually, you know what, I would take RPF. RPF is good, too. Uh, this is kind of a dumb radar. Since the ship does not have radar, you can, um, determine the location of the closest enemy ship, which is good in late-game scenarios if there's only, like, one ship on the enemy team left that's unspotted. You can find them, because it points to the closest enemy ship. Um, and then flags, uh, Juliet Charlie, Victor Lima, India X-Ray for the, uh, later two for the, uh, fire chance, first two to mitigate the um, increase in chance of magazine detonations um, with the India X-ray. Then you're going to want India Delta for increased effectiveness of your heal, uh, November Foxtrot for the uh, reduction in reload time of consumables, and then you could do Sierra Bravo for the hydroacoustic search, but I have to save that for your German ships. Oh, um, and you could take Julie, Juliet Whiskey, uh, you, you and own. Uh, but I'd leave that for destroyers, because you don't really use your torpedoes that much in this ship. It's mostly just something to dump in your wake if you're being pursued. Um, yeah, that's pretty much all the signal flags you need to use. Also, use your economic signal flags if you have them, but if you don't have them, it's no big deal. Um, so, we've gotten through the build now, so how do you want to play this ship? Well, it's actually quite simple. So, approach the enemy uh, right at the beginning of battle. Go out into one of the flanking caps. Wait till... It's my standard way of playing cruiser. Wait till your um, 
the detection range is halfway through the enemy camp, find an island, turn or or find an island, turn around it, and just start li- lighting up the world, burning the world down. That's pretty much what you do. And then uh, once they, uh, once you kind of cut away at quarter speed, throttle juking, you know, going backwards, forwards, changing speed, just doing anything to mess up the enemy's aim, which works well at this tier because people aren't really expecting you to be juking because they're more worried about aiming at this tier, most people, because they're, you know, new to the game than they are at uh, throttle juking, so people aren't expecting it. Um... Uh, and then you just light the world, and if you're presented with the broadside, you use the expert, uh, it used to be expert loader before the commander skill rework, it's now gun feeder, but, uh, gun feeder to reduce the, uh, main battery, uh, reload time of, or main, main battery reload time of your guns when they're fully loaded, when you're switching, uh, shell types, um, so that allows you to switch instead of, uh, 14 seconds, you switch it around, uh, 10 seconds, and then if you take a big hit or something, just heal it back with your uh, repair party. It kind of affords you a second chance. These are I wish I would have ground these first before the American Heavy Cruisers, because these are a lot more forgiving than uh, the low-tier American Heavy Cruisers are, and they're a lot more easy to play. I, I've, I've quite enjoyed the Devon Char. And then when they, if you start winning the flank, and you turn around, you push, and you just burn them down again. It's pretty simple. I don't really have anything special for you playing here. And if, you, if things are going sour and you just speed up and start running away to the other flank and dump a few torpedoes or something in your wake or around the side of an island, you think a ship might pop out. And that's pretty much it. That's how you play a ship. It's not complicated. The ship rewards good aim. Um, it's good in operations, too. Um, because if you don't have good aim, it obviously that reload is not you know, like a destroyer or light cruiser reload, so, you know, it kind of hurts a little bit, but not too much. Um, don't ever show broadside, though. Um, that's not a good idea, because you will get slapped. Uh, this ship has enough armor to make things not overpen, like a light cruiser might, so it sits in your citadel and blows up, and it will, you know, blow your ship straight out of the water. However, that never happened to me, because I kited and i dodged and i angled and the one shot that would hit my armor uh usually not always usually would allow me would ricochet and you know provide that one extra little bounce for me it'd be that get out of jail free card um but i would not recommend using the ship armor uh you know it's not close in uh you oh one other piece of advice don't let people get within your surface detection range this ship specializes in fighting from ranges of 10 kilometers to 14 kilometers it does not fight in ranges in between that um if you find ranges in between that you will get punished so you're gonna want to stay keep them at like anywhere from 10.1 kilometers to 14 kilometers and that is the ship's golden zone once you get it within that 10.06 kilometer detection range things become a lot more difficult because if the situation comes too hot you cannot get away from it without exposing broadside whereas you can just wait the extra eight seconds after your guns reload and um go undetected so that's that's why this uh, ship is good um uh yeah so i you know i just remember one thing i forgot to mention uh in 10.7 uh was the commander skills rework um, that went live, and that commander skills rework allow, uh, reintroduce that secondary skill that we, um, were all missing, uh, before, and now Palmer is fun again, uh, like, a lot more fun, I've consistently had battles where it's been close in, just, you know, slugging it out, and it seems like the, the game has basically changed most of the time. Now, there are some battles, like, before the commander skill rework, or the, the initial one, way back in, what, February, um, 
that, you know, it's just fighting at range. But um, a lot more common to see people fighting at close range, which is, I like that. And there's some other nuances and little skills that change, but nothing that affects the game as much as its secondary skill does. So, definitely, secondary skills are back in business. Um, or secondary builds, not skills. Uh, and skills, yeah. Are back in business. Um, so, yeah, definitely enjoy it. Not in the Devonshire, though. Don't do that in the Devonshire. It's not a good idea. Um, but uh, Devonshire, a fun ship overall. Definitely recommend it. So far, um, the British Heavy Cruisers have been uh, pretty cool. I uh, am on the Surrey right now, and I'm, I'm enjoying it. It um, In Tier 9, it doesn't do as good, uh, obviously, because it's a Tier 7 ship. Um, and it's a pretty strong Tier 7 ship, but it's nothing like a Tier 9, obviously. Um, it's not like the Congress or anything, it can't, or uh, the Shorn Horse that can't hold its own in Tier 9, um, you know. But, uh, yeah, so I've enjoyed it. Um, I gotta, you know, I've kind of stopped grinding them for now because I'm grinding the Dockyard event, but I will after the Dockyard event, so around September or so I'll start, you know, grinding the British Heavy Cruisers again. But that is it for this episode. If you have any requests, questions, comments, or concerns, um, please feel free to email me, rankamateurpodcast at gmail.com. Um, check out my merchandise in my merchandise store. Uh, it helps support the podcast because my uh, acres still being stupid uh, with my sponsors as of the time of this pub- episode's uh, publication date. So uh, any you're, any uh, people who want to support the podcast, the only way to do it right now instead of listening is um, simply going to anchor.fm slash rankamateur and donating or buying some merch. So... Uh, Thank you all for listening, and until next time, Captains, 